My name is Remy, and I'm a podcast aficionado, and I would never listen to I Doubt It with fucking Dollar More. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us for this 319th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, the lovely, talented, co-hosty co-host, Brittany Page. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you? That is fantastic. (laughs) Also joining us in studio... It's not often that we have an in-studio guest mm-hmm. during a regular numbered episode, but we yes. do this time. We did a call-in episode the other day, which we're going to do again. We'll talk about that later. But in the course of the call-in episode, it wasn't we didn't set up anybody to call in, but one of our buddies, Drew Levine, Ivy League-educated lawyer, uh, Drew Levine called in, and it made me think, ah. We should just have him on the show once. Yes. And here he is. Thanks for being here, buddy. You know, I really ought to hang out with you guys more often because <laughs> all these strokes to the ego <laughs> is really going to do me wonders for my work week. Listen, those up. are the only strokes you're going to get from me at all. <laughs> ego strokes. Well, we'll see. We both have beers in front of us. So. <laughs> that, that is true. We'll see where the night takes you. So, it's good to be here. It's a minor dream come true. It's a, a minor dream. That's How good. dare you? We give you <laughs> ego strokes and you say, oh, it's minor or whatever, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I've done some really cool stuff. I mean, yeah. this is, yeah, let's be honest. I mean, I'm Ivy League educated, so. <laughs> you can mention that more if you want. <laughs> so so you went to Cornell Law. I did, yes. Yeah, and you're an all-around active political guy. Well, I I, I certainly try to be. I mean, the stakes are high. So they I think, you know, if there's something that, that that's that important, the stakes are this high, it, it, it sort of behooves us all to get involved where we can and make a difference where we can. I, I, for the audience's edification, I will say that uh, Mr. Drew Levine Esquire is uh, responsible for introducing me to my very first Democrat meeting. Yes. We went to that. Uh, is that, that was your first? Oh, yeah. I was, I've only been a Democrat since the election. That's true. You know, maybe you had spied before. I don't That's know. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I'm I, part of the deep state against the Democrats. <laughs> I, I did go undercover to a Donald Trump rally, so it's within the realm of possibility. It's undercover, so what what'd you do? <laughs> um, well, I just pretended to be an undecided voter. You know, I'm, mm. I'm a bald white guy, yeah. so I sort of fit in, just sort of naturally. Especially the Donald Trump crowd. Yeah, yeah. So Your head is a little skin. Little skin. It's a little skinny, yeah. <laughs> Which is ironic because of, I'm Jewish, of course. Yeah. The, the, a, the name gives it away. Not a lot of neo Nazis with the last name Levine. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Maybe one or two in the world. But, right. but the, the French spelling. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when you were at the rally, did someone approach you and ask if you were a Trump supporter and you had to say, I'm undecided? Well, or? no, just, I mean, when you're waiting in line, everybody's yeah. talking to each other. So I got there. I actually didn't get into the rally because so many people showed up and they had to turn a bunch of people mm-hmm. away, notwithstanding the fact that I printed out those fake tickets. Uh-oh. Oh, that, yeah. You know, every, you know, they give you fake tickets just to sort of make you feel like you're committed to going. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I stood in line with a bunch of people, and my purpose there was to sort of 
I don't know, get information and just sort of see yeah. the way that people thought about it. And this was in the primary season. Yeah. So I pretended to be an undecided voter who couldn't choose between like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and Donald Trump. Yeah. And so I got a lot <laughs> of really interesting responses. But it was what was most interesting to me was that there were a bunch of very conservative Christians mm. who you would think would much more naturally have been in the Cruz camp. Right. Yeah. But, but they convinced themselves somehow that Donald Trump was their guy. And so they were there to support him. And uh, <laughs> we were at the same rally asking questions of people. Right. And a lot of InfoWars shirts. A lot. We also left before all the violence and insanity start, got yeah. going at the end of the night. Yeah. So, um, well, that's awesome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. And I'm sure we'll touch on some. I know because I know what we're going to talk about, Drew. <laughs> that we'll touch on some things that will, you know, you'll be able to enlighten us. With that giant legal brain yes, of yours. giant. <laughs> Before we move on, though, I wanted to mention to the audience that Brittany and I will be going on vacation for about 10 days or so at the end of the month. Yes, but we're not abandoning you. Not at all. Yeah, we will be on vacation from the 19th to the 28th. It's a Wednesday to a Friday. And we plan to release episodes as, um, as on schedule... <laughs> As possible? As possible, that's right. I don't know. Um, but but it might not be completely successful. So just hang in there with us while we try to figure out what the plan is. But well, we have been doing a bunch of bonus content to help you forget about to whatever make errors for- we might make. <laughs> right. Okay? So just think about all that bonus content well, that's been so nice. Let, let me say this. It's likely we'll miss an episode, possibly two. And if that is the case... We will make up for it in glorious fashion with two separate hashtag third episode weeks. How great would that be? So, eh, but, uh, it'll be good. And plus, unless, well, listen, unless something crazy happens while we're on the road and we have to figure out some way to do it, that's likely what's going to happen. So, yeah. Uh, sometimes I need some time off. Talking about Trump. I'm 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 likely to commit crimes against myself. Yeah. You do have a few more white hairs than you did when I first met you. That's no shit. I don't know if that's just <laughs> the normal course of doing business, getting older, or if Trump is just stressing me the fuck out. I mean, we've only known each other for like six months, so <laughs> No good, man. <laughs> no good. Especially in the beard. The beard is gray. All right. I don't need the goddamn critiques. <laughs> okay. You two. All right. It's Fucking not a critique. Peanut gallery. It's over not here. a critique. Uh, it makes you look sophisticated. Yeah. Well, I'm glad something does. Distinguished. All right, let's get to a voicemail before we move on and before I murder everyone in this room. <laughs> here we go. Hey, guys. Brittany from Mississippi here. Um, it's been a little while. I've been keeping to myself. And uh, I was just listening to 318 and was just wanting to say something um, in regards to, you know, the comments about Jesse going, going, taking the low road and things like that. I get it when you get bullied or when someone gets bullied or someone shows that type of behavior enough, eventually you just fucking have enough, you know, you just go, you know what guy, fuck you, fuck everything about you. And I get it. So we should always make that our mantra. Sure, when they go low, we go high. But you just sometimes do reach a point. And I have a shit ton of respect for Brittany. Because, you know, I I don't see how, how she keeps it 
inside or in her mind or whatever and doesn't let it come out because she's a better person than I am because there comes a point where I'm looking at some of this stuff going God Lee what is this guy doing and you know all the other things that you've said anyway the other thing I want to say uh, very briefly I'm not a lawyer obviously but um, I wonder how Donald Trump hasn't received like a fuck ton of cease and desists or any sort of legal you know paperwork saying that he should you know definitely stop the slander and the libel against people um because i mean at this point that's pretty much what he's doing he's slandering people i guess maybe since he's calling it cnn he's calling it you know whatever msnbc he's not necessarily calling out specific people's names maybe that's where where they're not able to do that but um but the thing like with the morning joe stuff Those people absolutely have every right to have him served for that shit. I mean, and maybe that's just my opinion more than it is fact. I don't know. But at some point, someone has to go, you know what? Fuck you, guy. Stop talking shit about people and start doing your fucking job. And I don't see how it hasn't happened yet. Anyway, I just wondered what you guys' take might be on that. But um, that's all I got. And, of course, love the show. And we Britneys are always the best part. Thanks, guys. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. So I think that I kind of get pegged as being far more rational than I actually am, (laughs) Um, which is nice, I guess. But I have definitely told people to fuck off when the time is right. (laughs) Well, the, the, the difference is, is that you don't deem the time to be right very often. Where I, on the other hand... About once every half hour, it's well, time is right. Fuck off. You're more metered. It takes you a lot. You have a lot longer fuse. Okay, that might be true. But I do really like this Helen Mirren quote. And she said in, in an interview in 2013, it's quite valuable to have the courage and confidence to say, no, fuck off. Leave me alone. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I really like that quote because it's true. I mean, there are instances where you're it, nothing is going to be productive in terms of a reasonable conversation. Sure, yeah. And so it's better to just end it in maybe a contentious way well i think a well-placed fuck off can be very powerful <laughs> yes right well, it has you to mean be over a poorly placed one yeah i mean there <laughs> i mean there's such thing as a poorly placed fuck off but i agree i mean you have to do the calculation is it going to actually be better for the people that are observing for me to tell this person yeah. to fuck off or not that's something to consider for yeah. sure the audience right so the the the, the peanut get the people on the silence who are just watching it happen exactly from, from, as it, whether it be informational or entertainment, yeah, what's that going to come Like, are they going to find catharsis in you telling them to fuck off, or are they going to think that you're being a jerk? Yeah. And, you know, you got to make that calculation. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard. But now, let me, uh, let me say this, and then I'll let Drew uh, chime in. Uh, th- the president isn't like a normal person. Right. You can't just have the president served for any reason. Now... Because of the Paula Jones uh, ruling that the Supreme Court made, there are certain things that the president can be sued while in office over. Mm-hmm. But the, the the president enjoys immunity on a wide scale. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, the rule essentially is is that a president is immune to civil litigation when they're doing things that are strongly correlated with the functions of the presidency. Mm-hmm. And... 
when Donald Trump is insulting people over Twitter, like the things that he said towards uh, Mike and uh, Mika, Mika, and, Mika and uh, Joe, get, get in that mic, Mika and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> He's it's it's sort of a it's it's sort of a difficult legal question about whether or not that's actually an official function of the presidency. Hmm. I mean, especially because he's sort of used Twitter and he claims to use Twitter Twitter as a medium to directly communicate with the American people. They've even said they are they are official statements from the president right. of the United States. Right. And that actually may be in part calculated to protect him from civil liability, I think. Hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. So he can not absolutely cannot be sued for something that is an official act of the presidency while he's in office like declaring war you know Correct. sending your your son off to right. war yeah. something like that yeah so there's a lot and of good that's the reason yeah for it. there's a lot of good reasons for that because we don't want to clog up the courts with that kind of stuff but whether or not he can be sued for stuff that is sort of a deviation from his official acts as president is an unanswered legal question it's actually never been taken up by the supreme court uh, so, of course, if somebody were to sue Donald Trump for this, we would have to sort of figure out this legal question. The justices would have to do a lot of work. They'd hear arguments. Uh, certainly, they would probably bring up the fact that Donald Trump's tweets have been factored into determining whether or not you know, the Muslim ban yeah. should be enacted. And so they might decide that his tweets are official acts of the president. And even if they don't, they may still conclude that a president should not be subject to civil lawsuits, irrespective of Well, that. I think there's the other element to this also, which is they're public figures, so the bar for libel or slander is way higher than it is for, you know, Gary the plumber. Yeah, that's correct. Although I think that Trump talking about, falsely, apparently, about uh, Mika getting the a facelift. facelift. Yeah. yeah. Mika getting a facelift. I think that were he a private citizen, he could be successfully sued for that because... Uh, there's because there's no reasonable belief that that's actually something that he right. should be saying about her. And it could, I don't know, but it could affect her her livelihood, her, right. her future earning um, potential, and that's where yeah. there's damage. Then. Well, yeah, but with libel, you don't even need to prove damages. Oh, really? If, yeah, if libel, if somebody commits libel, they say something that's false about you that has a tendency to... I mean, if they just say something that's false about you that has a tendency to... Uh, sort of diminish your reputation huh. in any way. Yeah, that's Dam interesting. Damages are presumed, so mm. you don't even need to prove that. Awesome. Well, thanks for the call, Brittany. Yeah. From Mississippi. <laughs> we appreciate it very much. I also believe we have an email to get to that we were going to include in the show. So without further ado, Brittany. Hey, guys. This is Jay from New York. I thought I would share a story with you that I thought to be important. I was knocking on doors the other day for the Democratic Party trying to rally up support for the local elections in November. And in the midst of talking to all of my local Democratic Party members, I came across one man who admitted to me he was a lifelong Democrat who voted for Trump. So obviously I had to pick his brain a little about this. He admitted that he voted for Trump because he would be such a disaster that he would, quote, ruin the Republican Party and open the door for the real liberals to come back into power. I have been racking my brain for the past few days trying to work through this logic, and I would really like your thoughts on this. He also said, quote, well, we live in New York. I knew my vote wasn't going to count and go for Hillary anyway. I still can't come to grips with the fact that he voted for this idiot because he thought it would open the door for Democrats to rise to the moment. 
Full disclosure, I thought I was a conservative before Trump won the nomination, and he personally pushed me to the complete opposite way to become a registered Democrat and self-identify as a liberal and fully endorse all of Bernie liberal ideologies. Similar to what Jesse previously said about Trump pushing him to register as a Democrat. I believe I'm not the only one. Love the show. It's literally the only thing I look forward to. Would really love your thoughts. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> that, that uh, literally, you need to get that checked out. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> I w- let me say this. Um, because of the fact that I registered as, as a Democrat, I am, well, one, I don't know if it's just because of me pushing back against Trump. I do consider myself more of a liberal now than I would have before the election. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't really changed the way I think or how I think about politics or policy. There's still a lot of stuff that I am not a a a democrat about i mean i'm i'm for all kinds of sensible measures where it relates to background checks on guns but i'm not opposed to to private ownership of guns i'm not there's a lot of stuff economically that i'm still you know i i don't know if it's romanticism but i i uh i'm okay with with people keeping more of of what they earn and i think that there's there's a certain importance that should be placed on on uh congressmen and senators and the president being good stewards of our money and not wasting it just because it's there well you're sort of talking about the debates that we ought to be having yeah and the fact that we're not having, so yeah you're, you're talking about the debates that we ought to be having because there are legitimate discussions about those topics but the fact of the matter is that the Republican Party has gotten so bad yes. that it's just completely impossible to have meaningful conversations about those topics. Yeah, without a doubt. So now those meaningful conversations are happening happening exclusively within the Democratic side of things. Yeah. And so we are talking about, you know, what kinds of things that we ought to do and what kinds of things we ought to tolerate within the Democratic Party. We're debating whether or not we ought to invite more like pro-life Democrats into the party for this very reason, because we're trying to capture all rational people on our side. Well, even that discussion in and of itself is, is so, it's, it's so maligned and, and, and charged with being a pro-life Democrat doesn't mean you're anti-choice necessarily. Right. If you say that I would like a 21 or a 23 week limit, that's the, that's the cutoff mark for abortion. You're not a pro, you're not anti-choice. You're just like, oh, at some point there's a goddamn baby in there. Yeah. And because of the wild polarization of the parties and, and ideologies, it's almost impossible to have those type of talks. Right. Yeah. You, you're. I mean, you're talking about acknowledging that there's moral nuance to yeah. the issue and being able to tolerate the fact that people come out, come down differently on the issue of where the moral nuance leads you. I don't think either party does a great job of it, but Democrats do a better job than Republicans for sure. Well, and I think that's why people have a hard time identifying with a certain party, right? Because a lot of people are pulled in different directions on different issues, and it's hard for them to go straight down the line with the party, with the party line. So yeah. 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 Unless you're a threshold issue voter where, you know, you only vote on the issue of abortion, and because right. Republicans like abortion, you, that's why you choose Republicans. Yeah, yeah. But that's not where people who think about things a lot <laughs> are going to make their decisions. Thinkers <laughs> aren't one-issue voters. Right. Yeah. How dare you? So, and then on the other issue of the, the, the old man who voted, like, 
to like to set some kind of a you know Vietnam style guerrilla warfare booby trap. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that guy, he's that's he's thinking twelve steps ahead. I don't know. There can't be a lot of those guys. He's, he's playing chess, not checkers. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean that that there's there's not there can't be a lot of those people. And also, I didn't understand what he said that he didn't he knew his vote wasn't going to go for Hillary in New York. That's well, essentially, New York w- went for Hillary. It was it was a guarantee. Right. So he think he his logic there was that he didn't need to vote for Hillary because the state was going to go. Oh, to Hillary. right. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. voting for someone else here in California. Yeah. Yes. When it's a it's a lock. Yeah. That it was going. for yeah. Hillary. I actually vote. I mean, I'm a Democrat, but I actually voted for Johnson because of that. I traded my vote with somebody in Florida who was going to vote for Hillary huh. uh, in exchange for me voting for Johnson just to get that guy over his like five percent threshold. Yeah. Wow. So. Did you get proof of this? Because I'm, I'm so interested in this. How do you, how were you able to trust this person? Well, I, I mean, you know, of course, California was going to go for Hillary, so right. there's no real risk for me to try yeah. to do this. But I pledged it, and so I wanted yeah. to keep true to my word. No, no. How do you know they follow I know. through with their yeah. word? I, I trust don't, I don't you, know. Drew. Yeah, no, no, I don't know, and but there was no risk for me mm. to do it, and so I decided to keep my word on that topic hmm. and just sort of hope that he kept his too. <laughs> all right <laughs> that's a fascinating thing to me i've heard people that do that and it, it's a fascinating thing to me i just hope I mean, people donald trump really inspired a lot of creative solutions yeah yeah he did that's true <laughs> <laughs> wow that's finagling right there mm-hmm. well listen thanks for the calls thanks for the emails this week you guys we appreciate it very much if you too have something you'd like to communicate if you want to help move the conversation forward Of course, you can always email a voice memo like Brittany did from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Thank you very much. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Kay. Kay. Jesus. Jesus. And William. And William, our latest, generous, selfless, beautiful people. Beautiful. Who have donated to us via Patreon and PayPal. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it very much. So like we were talking about, uh, Drew called in to that call-in episode we did. Live call-in where we we just sat here and waited for calls to come in via uh, the Google Voice number. And we are going to do that again on Thursday evening. We're going to start at about 8 p.m. So any of the Google Voice, um, any of the calls that come through... On that 657-464-7609, we're actually going to answer and have, you know, three, four, five, six-minute chat with you about whatever it is. Now, because the tech isn't really worked out and it's me just kind of jerry-rigging this thing, it's me taking a Google Voice call and then if you call in, it's going to go to voicemail because we'll be on the call with someone. Mm-hmm. So if you do get voicemail, just wait a few minutes and call back. And keep trying. Yes. A little, it's a little janky, not worked out real well, but the end result ends up being a pretty great show. It's just like if you would call the radio station to request a song. 
Yeah, except you don't get a busy signal. That's true. <laughs> it's not like that at all. <laughs> it is very different from that. <laughs> you get it together, Brittany. Get it together. It's got the call-in thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On this, you know, similar. Drew knows what I mean. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> okay. Well, before before I shut up, Brittany, is there? Can we go on, move on to the next segment, or am I yes. am I in shut up jail? No, you're. Am fine. I imprisoned in the the silence that you've? I was just lashing out because I was wrong. <laughs> Um, you have a study, I guess it is, or an article yeah, that study. you want to talk about that I, I found very interesting. Yeah, so this study is from Georgetown Law's Center on Poverty and Inequality, and they found that black girls are judged as less innocent than white girls um, starting as early as age five. Wow. And less innocent, well, innocent kind of means like a lack of... Uh, sophistication or wisdom lack of experience right um a need for protection that's kind of what innocence means sure. in this in this study so they found that black girls need the perception is that black girls need less nurturing less protection to be supported less to be comforted less that they are more independent that they know more about adult topics and that they know more about sex so on its face when you first read this to me because I don't read my own articles, everybody. I have to have them read to me like I'm a fancy man. Um, Brittany was discussing this, and it sounded on its face like, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. But where is that going to come in and really be a detriment to those girls? And the fact of the matter is, this affects them from childhood. And then it just it's a snowball gathering strength and speed into adulthood. Right. Well, they talk about a couple of implications for the findings and... I don't want to get to those yet. Can I? Oh yeah. Can I pause for a second? Sorry, I once again. Okay. Blew the proverbial wad, Brittany. Yeah. So across all age ranges, participants viewed black girls collectively as more adult than white girls. This is kind of the adultification of black girls. Oh yeah. Um, so responses reveal, in particular, that participants perceived black girls as needing less protection and nurturing than white girls, and that black girls were perceived to know more about adult topics and more knowledgeable about sex than their white peers. The more, most significant differences were found in the age brackets that encompass mid-childhood and early adolescence. This is ages 5 to 9 and 10 to 14. And then continued to a lesser degree in the 15 to 19-year-old age bracket. No statistically significant differences were found from zero to four. Hmm. So still, beginning at age five, yeah, they're seen less like children compared to white girls. And they're all just children. Right. So in terms of um, implications, one is discipline. There's a disproportionate discipline rate for black girls in school. Um, black children in general, but black girls specifically as it relates to this study. And this can result in um, the perception of black girls being more disobedient, more defiant, um, and more likely to be suspended or expelled from school because of these things. But if the teachers are judging them as less innocent, right, if that's a bias that they have, they're being perceived as less innocent, then that discipline isn't being handed out in an equitable way right? Uh, between children. So they might be disproportionately affected by this because of that perception that they are adults. Well, and it's, it's again, it's going back to it's an implicit bias. It's not necessarily them making a conscious choice right. that, oh, 
this uh, this person is black, therefore they're less innocent. I'm going to do this and make a calculated move to punish them harsher. It's just their general natural perception that's off. It's askew, and they're going to punish harder. Uh, th- there was another thing we were talking about that they are perceived as uh, needing less nurturing or assistance. So yeah. the, the uh, mentorship opportunities don't come the, the way of, of, of young black girls like they would with black girls, which right. is going to be a, a severe limitation going forward in life and the career. Right. So if the perception is that they are more independent, then that would mean oh, that they don't need as it. much help. Right? They, they've got it under control. They don't need my assistance. They don't need my mentorship. They don't need my advice. Right. They've got it. They're super confident. They're awesome. Right. And so basically this is the implication is that black girls are not going to receive equal opportunities. Right. Yeah. And... So I just think this is important because, again, it's an, another study to add to the pile that is evidence against this inequality. Right? Do you think? Do you think that conservatives are going to finally acknowledge white privilege now? <laughs> no. No, but <laughs> but I hope that 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 some people will start to listen. Right? That every one of these studies will kind of scratch at something. Sort right? of like a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Finally break yeah. away at that. Uh, sure. yeah, at that mold. I yeah. think it is hard to accept for some people, but I mean, this this has far-reaching implications, and it's a problem. So. Listen, if, if just a few people can be convinced, and then the next study, a few more, and then the next, I mean, it, eventually people are going to come around who are, you know, well-intended thinkers. It's it's eventually going to have to happen. It's just, or that's my hope. I hope so, too. Yeah. All right. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before the Supreme Court, soon there will be a case involving again LGBT issues. There is a man named Jack Phillips who is a bakery owner, and his case will come before the court. An artist. Yeah, that's yeah. Excuse me. They're trying to <laughs> postulate his position not as a baker of of confection and cookies and cakes but he's an artist an artiste vincent van gogh ain't got nothing on this guy i really don't understand this pr move because it is completely (laughs) irrelevant to the merits of the case and the supreme court justices aren't going to care whether he's a cake maker or an artist they don't care about that well they're trying to take obviously they're taking they've taken the the free speech argument but we'll get into this. Let, let, let me play this clip. I've got about a three-minute clip from his appearance. I have no idea why his lawyer would appear with him on The View. But he <laughs> went on The View with the ladies of The View, and they, uh, they gave him an opportunity to tell his story and talk a little bit. Hey, now speaking for the first time on TV since the Supreme Court announcement, please welcome Jack Phillips and his attorney, Kristen Wagner. Welcome to the show, you guys. So, Jack. So this all started when this gay couple, I've been seeing that, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, uh-huh. right? They came to your shop to order a cake for their wedding ceremony. Uh, and what was your immediate reaction when these two gay guys said, we want a cake for our wedding? Um, I tried to politely tell them that I didn't do cakes for same-sex weddings. I serve everybody all the time, but I don't make every uh, cake for every event that's uh, required. You don't make cake for any- 
I serve everybody <laughs> all the time, but not the queers. That's ultimately what he's saying. Serving everybody all the time is serving everybody all the time. I mean, this is not much of a defense, but in some defense of him, I think he had he had said at one point that he would have made a cake for them had they asked for like a birthday cake or a graduation cake or something like that. It's just for this particular event. Yeah. He didn't want to do it. He gets to that. In every event that is asked for you to make yeah. it. If you ask me for something else. He also told him that he would sell pretty much anything in a yeah. store. That he so you would give that. them a different cake, just not a wedding cake? I would serve them gladly anything that I sell at my store. Oh, but just not the wedding cake. Mm -hmm. I get you. So did you feel, did you have a, um, a part, was there any part of you felt bad about what you had to, that you had to turn these, these lovely guys down? Yeah, I, it's a, a difficult thing to be in my position and know that somebody's requested me to do something that I can't in good uh -huh. conscience do. Not turning them away, it's just this event. Please understand that. I get you. All right. I understand the, the concern people have about government dictating to private businesses what, what their business should look like. But on this religious freedom argument, I struggle. If, if it violates your religious freedom to sell a wedding cake to a, a gay couple, for example, <laughs> do you then, when straight couples come in, do you ask them if they've had a child out of wedlock, for example, if they participate in premarital sex, if they... Because where do you draw the line then? Because that all could be deemed sinful or sinful to, to someone who's religious as well. Yeah. Again, I don't judge people when they come in. I try and serve everybody. I just don't make cakes for every event that, that's asked of me. I think you ought to remember that it's not just about whether someone thinks something's sinful. It's that all of the Abrahamic faiths, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's a sacred religious ceremony. So the dignity cuts both ways here. And Jack's dignity is at issue as well in this. So I think it's a, it's a broader issue. And there's also a free speech issue here. Um, well, you can support same-sex marriage and still support artists like Jack <laughs> and their right to create. Or well, what create. Is exactly artists like Jack and a free speech issue. Listen, I don't think these gay guys wanted him to write, Allah is the one true God on the cake. They wanted a wedding cake that maybe said, congratulations, Steve and Gary, or whatever their names were. There, what 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 kind of speech is being infringed upon? I mean, if if these guys had come in and said we want a graduation cake that has two guys in tuxedos on mm -hmm. the top that says congratulations Steve and Gary, but it's a graduation cake, it's not a wedding cake. It would have been the exact same cake. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I I I have a hard time understanding why he would assert that this somehow is some kind of statement that yeah. he's making right. when he makes this cake. Right. Well, and it's also not as though they wanted like um like two dick figurines at the top of the cake right. for the one. So it's not like obscene. You well, know what I mean? And he might have done that if it was a graduation. Dick <laughs> <cake>. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of confusing where this where this is going. They continue. Your belief that prevents you from making that cake. What is it? I believe that the Bible cl clearly teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh-huh. But there are other things in the Bible <laughs> that I'm sure you don't uh -huh. believe. Well, that actually br brings yeah. you to my question, because yeah. one thing that's always confused me about this is that in the Bible it says many things if you read it. And I was raised in the church, and it says, you know, do not lie with a man, one lies with a woman. But it also says don't judge others. We're not the final judgment. It also says love thy neighbor. There are a lot of messages in there. How do you reconcile in your own spirituality 
which ones to go with. Because in my mind, whether you believe in it or not, you should definitely not marry a man. <laughs> but if someone else does, it's not my place to judge them because God will ultimately judge them. I'm not judging them. I'm not judging these two gay men that came in. I'm just uh, trying to preserve my right as an artist to <laughs> decide which artistic endeavors I'm going to do and which ones I'm not. That, that argument's not going to fly before the court, you think? No, I mean, it doesn't really matter what his judgment is. So his, that distinction is not going to matter to the court. No, you're, no, absolutely not. I mean, and, and especially the, well, when this goes before the court, you have to understand that he's trying to assert a, an affirmative right. He's saying that his First Amendment rights are violated by this Colorado statute. So he's not, I mean, it doesn't really matter what his mindset is. He's saying that, he, that the state of Colorado is trying to regulate him in a way that's constitutionally impermissible. Well, something else that they were talking about was where do you draw that line, right? So if he were to have people come in and say, okay, but, you know, are, are you, have you ever had an affair and like give these questions and then also deny them, I think that's where people usually take this. You know, where how far is it going to go? Are you sure. going to be able to say, uh, I don't serve black people, you know? Yeah, or, or, I mean, or, or interracial couples. Right. Right, yeah. What if a person was in, was a part of a religion that said, that black people were not human beings and they mm -hmm. were not entitled to the custom of marriage or the custom of graduations. And so my sincere religious beliefs does not permit me to make cakes for black people. I don't think that anybody would think that that is something that ought to be legal. Right. But for some reason, it's this particular category of, of people that uh, it's, it's this particular category based on this... I. I I think really wrong-headed obsession with homosexuality yeah. that Christians have that they made this the special well, like the special villain. Well, she also said it was almost as though she was making an argument from the majority saying, "Well, all right, of the faiths right. feel this way, right? Everybody feels this way. This isn't weird for him to feel this way and because everyone feels this way, it should just be the way it is." I mean, uh, those those justifications were used for slavery. Yeah. Once upon a time. That's exactly right. Well, also, they're completely discounting public accommodation. Right. If you have a business that you are offering a service to the public, you don't get to pick and choose the class of individual based on their the inherent, uh, just who they are. That you, you're, oh, you're bald? We don't serve bald people in here. Right. Oh, Brittany, you're blonde? We don't serve you in here. Yeah. That's, well, the interesting thing is that the Supreme Court's not there yet when it comes to LGBT people as a protected class. They have not actually made, right. gone there yet. So we're really just talking about a Colorado law. So Colorado says, all right, the Supreme Court, the United States federal government is not where we need it to be in terms of equality. So we're going to make this law that makes this, this kind of discrimination illegal. So he's trying to say that this Colorado law is not legal because it violates his First Amendment rights. And so... The 14th Amendment, which is what we would normally be talking about in a case like this, which mm -hmm. guarantees equal protection, is actually not at play at all. It's really just, is this speech, like, is him making a cake speech, like, is he expressing something by making a cake for a same-sex uh, same couple, or is it protected religious, uh, you know, is it a violation of the Establishment Clause to forbid him from doing this? Hmm. So it's, it's, this is a very interesting, sort of a weird way to approach this. 
But I think it's going to be a real litmus test for Gorsuch. Yeah. If he comes down the wrong way on this one, we know that he's actually a guy that doesn't really take precedent seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is conduct. You know, this is not speech. This is conduct that they're trying to Absolutely. regulate. Absolutely. You're selling cakes, dude. Right? <laughs> Come on. Right. Yeah. So they're trying to regulate conduct. He's not making a statement by making a cake. And there's like this type of religious protection because it's neutral and because it's it's it does not uh, distinguish between religion. It's not the kind of thing that the Supreme Court has ever really said states can't do before. Huh. And so if Gorsuch comes down the wrong way on this, we know that he's actually not a true. I, I think he's not a real legal scholar. He's just a guy that's there to push an agenda. Kind of an activist guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why we had you here. Awesome. I mean, among other things. <laughs> so the other thing that happened this week is Donald Trump was in Poland and then Germany for the G20 summit. And uh, he met with Vladimir Putin for two hours, almost two hours over their scheduled meeting time. They were supposed to meet for, for 20 minutes and they ended up being about two and a half hours. And uh, They're having so much fun. Yeah, great time. Best friends. Him and his pal. There is actually video of him like, patting Putin on the back and being very submissive and very weird. It was definitely a different interaction than you've seen with other world leaders where he's always trying to chest up with the handshakes and do the macho behavior, right? He did not do that yeah. with Putin. Well, there was a question and answer period, only one, and they actually skipped the the outgoing press conference at the end of the at the end of the summit. But a a reporter did get to ask some questions about his specific views on whether or not, specifically, Russia interfered in the 2016 election. And as he does all the time, he obfuscated, he didn't answer, he he equivocated. It was uh, classic Trump. First, uh, a two-part question, if I may. Will you once and for all, yes or no, definitively say that Russia interfered in the 2016 election? Well, I think it was Russia, and I think it could have been other people in other countries. Uh, could have been a lot of people interfered. I've said it very. I said it very simply. I think it could very well have been Russia, but I think it could well have been other countries. And I won't be specific, but uh, I think a lot of people interfere. I think it's been happening for a long time. It's been happening for many, many years. Now, the thing I have to mention is that Barack Obama, when he was president, found out about this in terms of if it were Russia, uh, found out about it in August. Now, the election was in November. That's a lot of time. He did nothing about it. Why did he do nothing about it? He was told it was Russia by the CIA, as I understand it. It was well reported. And he did nothing about it. They say he choked. Well, I don't think he choked. I think what happened is he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. And he said, let's not do anything about it. Had he thought the other way, he would have done something about it. So he was told in early August by presumably the CIA that Russia was trying to get involved or meddling pretty strongly with the election. He did nothing about it. The reason is he thought Hillary was going to win. And if he thought I was going to win, he would have done plenty about it. So that's the real question is why did he do nothing from August all the way to November 8th why did he do nothing? His people said he choked. I don't think he choked. So the follow-ups for you on that, Mr. President, you again say you think it was Russia. Your intelligence agencies have been far more definitive. They say it was Russia. Why won't you agree with them well, and say it I'll was? Well, I'll tell you, let me just start off by saying I heard it was 17 agencies. 
I said, boy, that's a lot. Do we even have that many intelligence agencies, right? Let's check it. And we did some very heavy research. It turned out to be three or four. It wasn't 17. And many of your compatriots had to change their reporting, and they had to apologize, and they had to correct. Now, with that being said, mistakes have been made. I agree. I think it was Russia, but I think it was probably other people and or countries. And I see nothing wrong with that statement. Uh, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows for sure. I remember when I was sitting back li listening about Iraq, weapons of mass destruction, how everybody was 100 percent sure that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Guess what? That led to one big mess. They were wrong, and it led to a mess. So it was Russia, and I think it was probably others also, and that's been going on for a long period of time. But my big question is, why did Obama do nothing about it from August all the way to November 8th? He did nothing about it, and it wasn't because he choked. And before GLAD, I get to President Dodo, you talk GLAD, about being angry at President Obama. President Obama Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We must go. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Dear lady, it was two questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, President. Thank you to the members of the delegation. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And then they Thank shut you, her everybody, down. very much. So nobody really knows for sure, but Obama choked because he didn't do anything about the thing that nobody really knows for sure. Well, so it, here's what's happening. He's he's denying that it's a certainty that that Russia did it, but it's a certainty that Obama didn't do anything about what Russia certainly did. Right. So well, in one breath, he's he's admitting that it happened. And then in the same sentence saying. No, no, it. Uh, nobody really knows. Nobody knows. I mean, but Obama did do something. He kicked out all those Russian diplomats yes. in response to this, right? Yes. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that one of the reasons that Obama did not make more statements about the fact is because he was being blackmailed by the Republicans. Yeah. Saying that he was... McConnell. That, yeah, by McConnell, saying that they were going to turn it into a partisan issue in the campaign. Listen, and, we all have the benefit of, of hindsight, Right, it, it, we know how things turned out, and what what should have been, what would, probably would have been the best course of action from the benefit of looking back in time. In the moment, it is a tough decision because if you insert right. yourself, it's going to look like you're putting your thumb on the scale. Absolutely. And he chose to do the more statesmanlike thing and not do that. Right now, maybe he should have in hindsight, but. We, we we have the benefit of knowing what happened and all the details. All he knew was right then what was happening. Right, and Trump almost certainly benefited from yes. Obama not taking a stronger stance. So him, so him to come back and sort of bite the hand that feeds him is just beyond ridiculous. Well, it's classic Trump. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that he also criticized the number of intelligence agencies, saying, "Well, it's it's only like three. Yeah, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA are right. those the three that you're talking about." He's because also. <laughs> It's a pretty significant three. He also says, we did deep research on this, and it's three or four. He doesn't give a... Sp it's such deep research that he can't... He doesn't know whether it's three or four. Yeah. I mean, it, to... I mean, in mild defense of... I'm, I vomit a little bit saying this, but in <laughs> mild defense of Trump, 
I think that using the 17 agencies sort of oversold the case because what they're really talking about is like the director of national intelligence, which oversees all those agencies that are military agencies. So it's really like four major entities that did conclude this, but it really does encompass all of U.S., the U.S. intelligence community. Right. So it's just that it's, they're debating this number and the misuse of this number, but it's not really relevant to the point. Well, it's it's jingling keys Look right. over here rather than the, yeah. let's not focus on the real issue. Right. The other thing that really bothers me here is that he's on foreign soil maligning Americans. He's shitting on pr- pr- American President Obama. He's shitting on the brave men and women who sacrifice their lives and their their entire lives are dedicated to the pursuit of, of be- the betterment of our country, the gathering and the, the, the analyzing of intelligence to keep us safe. And he shits on them. Well, remember the Iraq war? They were 100% sh- certain. And by the way, that's bullshit. Right. Unless the, you have an American on the ground looking at the weapons of mass destruction that they claimed were there, you don't give a 100% chance. They probably said... Yeah, we're ninety percent sure. Well, yeah, and that was well, and it was Bush putting his thumb on the scale as well. Sure, trying to get the result that he wanted to get America into that war. Wow, they were they were strong arming Colin Powell right. at the time. Right, so they were resisting all of the pressure from the intelligence community to not move so fast on this. Yeah, and what would the reaction be if President Obama had launched that criticism of George W. Bush? <laughs> the Republicans would have been screaming and at, yelling and laughing at him. They would have been enraged. I mean, yeah. Fox News would be covering this nonstop. But the fact that he attacked President Obama, it's it's nothing, right. right? I mean, he's just allowed to disparage Americans. That's fine. It's no big deal. Ugh. This is the most nakedly cynical administration I can fathom. I mean, they really, really take anything... And, and they will spin it in the most disingenuous, dis- dishonest way to make a point that even isn't that important. Well, for me, it's really, look, he's, he's in a foreign country shitting on Americans and America, the infrastructure of our intelligence gathering. Right. What, what, if you want to criticize, it's like, look, uh, my brother, look, I can fuck with my family and, and shit on my brother a little bit, but you, you shut your mouth about him. That's not your job kind of a deal. Right. And he shouldn't be doing this, especially overseas. Well, and he's also doing the thing that he's he criticized Obama for not doing, which is coming out and really standing in front and trying to protect right. America from right. this, right? So he's saying Obama didn't do it, and then he's sitting there sort That's of equivocating right. about Russia. <laughs> well, listen, he, he met with Putin, and he returned with a bunch of tweets, and it was craziness. But also, on the way back, the New York Times dropped a big story that is changing the face of the Russia collusion investigation. Hey, Paula, good morning to you. You know, White House aides are calling this trip a huge success for the president. And really, it was a chance for him to escape some of that chaos back home in Washington. But while he was in the air on Air Force One on his way home, another Russia story broke. Overnight, President Trump and the First Lady landing back in Washington and greeting them upon their arrival, another Russia headline. 
The New York Times reporting that the president's son, Don Jr., his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and former campaign chairman Paul Manafort met with a Russian lawyer who has ties to the Kremlin during a meeting at Trump Tower. That previously undisclosed meeting happening at the height of the campaign, just two weeks after the president won his party's nomination. In a statement, Don Jr. tells ABC News an acquaintance asked him to attend the meeting and that it was primarily about an adoption program. A source familiar with the meeting says the campaign was not discussed. As for that other meeting, Vladimir Putin now discussing his side of what happened behind closed doors. The Russian president saying, quote, Trump on TV is very, very different from the Trump in person. In that meeting, he says the president pressed him repeatedly about Russia's election meddling. He denied the allegation and said President Trump accepted that, saying it seemed to me that he took it into account and agreed. The White House not publicly disputing Russia's claim. In another high-stakes meeting, President Trump talking North Korea with China's Xi Jinping. Eventually, success may take longer than I'd like, may take longer than you'd like, but there will be success in the end, one way or the other. The administration growing increasingly frustrated with China's refusal to take a harder line on Pyongyang, especially in the wake of last week's successful intercontinental ballistic missile test. So there's three things in that clip that I want to talk about. One is the Don Jr. thing. The other thing is the Putin meeting and the tweets that came out after Donald Trump got back. Part of them are uh, Putin and I discussed forming an uh, impenetrable cybersecurity unit so that election hacking and many other negative things will be guarded and safe. Questions were asked about why the CIA and FBI had to ask the DNC 13th. Anyway, then he goes on about the Democrats. I'm sure that that was the uh, the impetus of the of the meeting <laughs> with Vladimir Putin. The, the, the president of Russia really gives a shit about the DNC servers. Well, there was a lot of fervor, fury over this. And just a few hours ago, Donald Trump tweeted, the fact that President Putin and I discussed a cybersecurity unit doesn't mean I think it can happen. It can't, but a ceasefire can and did. So why would he tweet about the cybersecurity cooperation earlier? Impenetrable. The impenetrable one, if it wasn't a possibility. It's... I think he realized he stepped on his dick a little bit and he needed to come back. I mean, that's clearly he because he, he's not going to say, oh, shit. Sorry, guys. Well, I, also, I'm, a, I'm a moron. It seemed like he fired this off um, in a fit of excitement because there's like a five spaces between unit and so I don't know if that was intentional. <laughs> I just and many other things will be guarded. I mean, he was saying that this thing is going to be created and it's going to be good. It's going to protect. It's going to be good. Right. Right. And then 12 hours later, I'm not saying I think it's possible. Right. Because why? Because the news started reacting. Right. And. <laughs> and, he, and members of his party started reacting. Yeah, and he figured out, oh shit, people don't like this. Well, here, here, I'm glad you mentioned that, Drew. Uh, Lindsey Graham, who you know, look, is is certainly not a fan of Donald Trump, but I think his criticism is is metered. It's not just attack, attack, attack all the time. And he was pretty pointed about his criticism about the idea. Well, let me start uh, with Russia and the president and this cybersecurity um, uh, uh, statement he put out there. He wants to work with Vladimir Putin 
claiming <laughs> that this cybersecurity unit will prevent future election ha hacking and many other negative things will be guarded. What say you, sir? It's not the dumbest idea I've ever heard, but it's pretty close. <laughs> uh, he gave a really good speech in Poland, President Trump did, and he had what I think is a disastrous meeting with President Putin. Two hours and 15 minutes of meetings, Tillerson and Trump are ready to forgive and forget when it comes to cyber attacks on the American election of 2016. Nobody's saying, Mr. President, the Russians uh, changed the outcome. You won fair and square, but they did try to uh, attack our election system. They were successful in many ways. And the more you do this, the more people are suspicious about you and Russia. He's got a great national security team around him. He's doing a good job in Afghanistan, North Korea, and ISIL. But when it comes to Russia, he's got a blind spot. And to forgive and forget when it comes to Putin yeah. regarding cyber attacks is to empower Putin. And that's exactly what he's doing. So Lindsey Graham has come out. John McCain in Marco normal, Rubio. Marco Rubio. A lot of guys have come out and said, listen, this is uh, ridiculous. You, you, can't, you can't have a guy who murders your family then go and, and come into some agreement to provide security for your house after he did a home invasion and murdered everybody. That's ultimately what he's trying to do here. Right. You're not going to have the guy that murdered your family install the Honeywell and security yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> So... What this leads to is really Donald Trump. And look, if it is kind of for forgive and forget kind of a deal, that's egregious. They interfered in our free and fair elections. And the deal is we're learning more and more about the collusion that is directly tied to the hacking. Donald Trump Jr., now we're finding out by reporting from the New York Times, met in June of last year, I believe, that it's June. I know that the meeting, or that it's being reported that the meeting happened. He's even admitted it, so we know it happened. I believe it was two weeks after he secured the nomination, is what they're saying. Okay. So he met with a lawyer, a Russian lawyer, with direct ties to the oligarchs and the Kremlin in Russia. And apparently, oh, the lawyer is a woman, I think, is it not? Yeah, and with the under the pretense that she was going to give him some dirt on Hillary. Right. So the deal is that Donald Trump Jr.'s story has changed two or three times since then. Because I think he, he there's blood in the water. The sharks are starting to circle, and he knows it's not a good time. Well, he's probably going to, I think he's probably going to hire his own lawyer pretty soon that mm. and who's going to try to get out it would be this. wise yeah i would recommend it so he met with this lawyer because they said they had dirt on hillary clinton and now all the republicans like jeffrey lord and goofballs like that are saying well the democrats do opposition research too that's just a normal course of business in politics and it is opposition opposition research for sure oppo research is done by everybody but you don't go to a foreign government to get it Right. You don't go to the Russians, an enemy of America. Well, also, everyone has been asked, did members of the campaign meet with Russians during the campaign? And they've all said no. Mike Pence, yeah. of course not. That would never happen, right? All of the Trump kids, right? And so they have been lying. Well, and again, this is another meeting that wasn't disclosed by Jared Kushner, who attended it, he didn't disclose this meeting either. Yeah. So it's 
that is how it worked. No, there was no meetings. We never met any Russians ever. Oh, well, yeah, we met Russians, but it wasn't about anything about the campaign. Oh, well, yeah, we met Russians, about, and it was about the campaign, but it was never about uh, colluding and getting damaging information to to put to put their, our, their thumb on the scale. I right. keep using that phrase, but to, to to lend us an advantage, yeah, in our efforts to to gain the presidency. And now we're finding out, yeah, that's fucking exactly what you did. And they're blaming it on the Democrats, like they're being, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, being, they're being, yeah, the Democrats set them up for this. So I, I am curious, Drew. Do you think that Mike Pence is innocent in all this? Is he completely unaware of all this? Or do you think he has some knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes I mean, and just ignores it? I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's no what? way. <laughs> you don't have the inside deets? There's, there's no way for us to know at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Robert Mueller and his team have yeah. a lot of more information than, I, than we do about this. Yeah. So maybe they know something. Let's goddamn hope so. Yeah. But I mean... It's hard to believe, I, though. Look, I, I think I think Pence is actually a pretty savvy political calculator. Mm -hmm. So he probably created enough distance between himself and a lot of this stuff. Plausible sort of, deniability. Yeah, to keep his hands yeah. clean. I mean, he's we already know that he's sort of fundraising and he's, you know, looks like he's sort of setting right. himself up to become president. Yeah. So I think that he probably is pretty confident that he's going to come off clean for this. We'll see. Um, it's It's just... There's this this thing is so messy and so complicated and and so much of this information is just trickling out mm -hmm. and our I mean admittedly my imagination is running wild over this yeah me too man so I just want to say I don't know I'm gonna wait and see well listen <laughs> I got one more clip and this is George Stephanopoulos talking to uh, Steve Mnuchin uh, about the Trump Russia visit at the G20 and. That guy is just not ready for prime time. And I'm not talking about George Stephanopoulos. Uh, Steve Mnuchin is just, he's out of his, he's out of his league. Well, this clip also illustrates the problem in this administ administration where none of them are on the same page. They yeah. cannot get on the same page as it relates to messaging. It's yeah. just impossible. And I think it's because you're dealing with someone who's so flighty. With Donald Trump. Well, one says, oh, we didn't talk sanctions at all. Then, then uh, the Secretary of State says, oh, we did talk sanctions. Right. It's just somebody's lying. And no one really asks the question, why are you lying? When the president says this and you say this, who's lying? And then they just, oh, well, we're not going to talk about that. Here's the clip. The president also said in his tweets this morning that he's setting up a cybersecurity partnership with President Putin. That's already drawn a response from many, including Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, who says with partner, partnering with Putin on a cybersecurity unit is akin to partnering with Assad on a chemical weapons unit. Your response? Well, in, in, all, in all due respect, and I, I think very highly of the senator, but let, let me just comment on that I think this is a very important step forward, that what we want to make sure is that we coordinate with Russia, that we're focused on cybersecurity together, that we make sure that they never interfere in any democratic elections or conduct any cybersecurity. And this is like any other strategic alliance, whether we're, we're doing military exercises with our allies or anything else. This is about having capabilities to make sure that we both fight cyber together, which I think is a very significant accomplishment for President Trump. So it's a significant accomplishment, but Donald Trump is tweeting that uh, it, just because he tweeted about it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, it can't happen. No, no, it not, it's not just that it's not going to happen. It's that it's not even possible. 
just because I tweeted about it doesn't mean it's possible. Yeah. I was just tweeting words into the, into the ether. You notice how the administration takes credit for accomplishing things before they actually do anything, even taking a first step on anything? Yeah. Right. Yo, they'll take they'll take credit for it before that. Like, there's a we're gonna set up a commission. We're we're gonna solve this problem before they even take the first step. Like you said, of like setting up a commission or a study group or a couple of a panel to look at. Right. I mean, I mean, you look at these commercials that Trump is running, and he's already taking credit for like proposing to build a wall and proposing to deregulate, right, and proposing right. to do this, and it's it's ridiculous. But Ugh. the times we live. Right. Mr. Levine, the <laughs> times we live. It's a fun time to be a lawyer. <laughs> All right. Well, let, next I want to talk about this video that Donald Trump posted on his Twitter feed, which is seriously the height of cheesy. It's as if they he directed someone, I want you to make a video that's a parody of a propaganda video that like North Korea would put out. Yeah. I want you to make it so obvious and stupid that everybody knows that it's a joke. Yeah, you know Kim Jong-un is going to see this and go, ugh! He bested me. That song is fantastic. I wonder <laughs> if we can do a remix for North Korea. Listen to this. I feel like making America great again. I'm inspired. That is that is spectacular. Mm -hmm. You know, that song sort of reminds me of those American hymns, like America the Beautiful, you know, This Land is My Land, that kind of thing, except, <laughs> except that the lyrics imply that America currently sucks. Yeah. So he, using using like the traditional American hymns to say that America sucks is just a really dissonant thing for me. I just yeah. I, I I I don't know how I feel about that. Well, yeah. it's also that they are it's over the, the music is 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 a music bed which is overlaid by a bunch of images of him shaking hands with world leaders at the G20. Right. What with the torch of freedom. Yeah. 
Make America great. Well, it must have been difficult to Brittany, find those shots. I am loving America right now. <laughs> Don't interrupt me. That is fucking rude. It must have been difficult to find those shots because most of the time he was wandering around the facility looking lost and confused. Yeah. So there's some, there might be something there too, but we'll refrain until we know more. Well, I, I just think he wasn't comfortable. I admit that I didn't watch the whole video. Were there any like instances where he when he was like shaking their hands, where he was like yanking <laughs> yanking their hands towards him? No. The, the classic Donald Trump move. No. Uh, they cut all those out. Yeah, it was missing. Well, while while the wonderful song, our new national anthem, Brittany, <laughs> while it was playing, yeah. you messaged me that you've got a couple new statements on the Donald Trump Jr. meeting. Yeah. Well, it's not new, but I want to well, read. Well, it's new. We haven't talked about it yet. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I want to read Saturday's statement and juxtapose that against Sunday's statement from from Donald Trump Jr. Yes. about the meeting. Okay, so this is on Saturday, okay? It was a short introductory meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government, but it was not a campaign issue at the time, and there was no follow-up. I was asked to attend the meeting by an acquaintance, but was not told the name of the person I would be meeting with beforehand. Okay, that's Saturday. I often have meetings with people I don't know who they are at all. I just walk in like, oh, it's like a blind date. What's what's going to happen here? And this is Sunday. I mean, she is a woman, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One day later, I was asked to have a meeting by an acquaintance I knew from the 2013 Miss Universe pageant with an individual who I was told might have information helpful to the campaign. I was not told her name prior to that meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to attend but told them nothing of substance. We had a meeting in June 2016. After pleasantries were exchanged, the woman stated she had information that individuals connected to Russia were funding the DNC and supporting Ms. Clinton. Her statements were vague, ambiguous, and made no sense. No details or supporting information were provided or even offered. It quickly became clear she had no meaningful information. She then changed subjects and began discussing the adoption of Russian children and mentioned the Magnitsky Act. It became clear to me that she that the true agenda all along and that the claims of potentially helpful information were a pretext for the meeting. I interrupted and advised her that my father was not an elected official, but rather a private citizen, and that her comments and concerns were better addressed if and when he held public office. The meeting lasted approximately 20 to 30 minutes. As it ended, my acquaintance apologized for taking up our time. That was the end of it, and there was no further contact or follow-up of any kind. My father knew nothing of the meeting or these events. That is a lot of skirting and dodging right there. You see how different those statements were within yeah. a day? Well, and I also think that he kind of shot himself in the foot with that second statement because he's basically admitting that he went there exclusively for the purpose of getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. From a foreign source. From a, yeah, from a foreign source that, I mean, that he knew that was a Russian lawyer. Right. He seems to think that it's useful for him that nothing was useful about the meeting. But right. that's not the point. They're just... They're dumb criminals. Right. You so, know, they're just not smart about the crimes that they're committing. Right. So the mo <laughs> the moment that she made it clear that she wasn't going to help him collude is when he lost interest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now let's wrap this baby. Taking care of biz. Chris. Ullman. Chris Ullman. We'll just go with that. 
Yeah, that's the the ABC Australia reporter, right? Yes, and his little clip is going viral because he really took Donald Trump to task. What we already knew, Barry, that the President of the United States has a particular skill set, that he's identified an illness in Western democracies, but he has no cure for it and seems intent on exploiting it. And we've also learned that he has no desire and no capacity to lead the world. The G20 became the G19 as it ended. On the Paris Climate Accords, the US was left isolated and friendless. But given that that was always going to happen, a deft president would have found an issue around which he could rally most of the leaders. And he had the perfect one, North Korea's missile tests. So where was the G20 statement condemning North Korea, which would have put pressure on China and Russia? Other leaders expected it. They were prepared to back it, but it never came. There's a tendency among some hopeful souls to confuse the speeches written for Trump with the thoughts of the man himself. He did make some interesting scripted observations in Poland about defending the values of the West and he's in a unique position. He's the one man who has the power to do something about it. But it's the unscripted Trump that's real. A man who barks out bile in 140 characters, who wastes his precious days as president at war with the West's institutions like the judiciary, independent government agencies and the free press. He was an uneasy, lonely, awkward figure at this gathering and you got the strong sense that some of the leaders are trying to find the best way to work around him. Donald Trump's a man who craves power because it burnishes his celebrity. To be constantly talking and talked about is all that really matters. And there is no value placed on the meaning of words. So what's said one day can be discarded the next. So what did we learn? We learned that Donald Trump has pressed fast forward on the decline of the United States as a global leader. He managed to isolate his nation, to confuse and alienate his allies, and to diminish America. He will cede that power to China and Russia two authoritarian states that will forge a very different set of rules for the 21st century. Some will cheer the decline of America, but I think we'll miss it when it's gone. And that's the biggest threat to the values of the West, which he claims to hold so dear. That guy's awesome. Take, I mean, here's, here's what really strikes me, is that the, the, the world understands what's happening here. The, the clown that we have elected president they realize that his ego and his celebrity is really what drives him. It's what's most important to him. It's not just us who have it figured out. Right. Everybody sees it. Yeah. And it's I'm, embarrassing. I'm thankful for that because, like, the French president, he made a statement saying that he knows that this isn't our fault or something. Yeah, and yeah, he's not yeah. going to judge us based on Donald Trump, whatever he said in a more intellectual uh, presidential way. <laughs> And I think that they get it, right? And they almost feel for us, too. Yeah. Because they know his approval ratings and stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a bummer. And they know that he didn't win the popular vote, that most Americans did not want him to be president. Right. And our weird rules yeah. still allowed it. Right. Well, good. I mean, listen, uh, that guy's for sure taking care of biz. What's his name one more time? Chris Ullman. Chris Ullman taking care of biz on episode 319. Well, listen, Drew, we're going to end the show. Thank you for coming in. It was a pleasure to be here. Good really time enjoyed it. talking to somebody who can really break things down and not just me taking stabs in the dark at what I think the law would say, but you're given Ivy League educated opinion, sir. Say it one more time for good measure. Ivy League <laughs> educated <laughs> opinion. 
really getting your money's worth. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had to choose between Cornell and USC. I'm really, you know, this tonight really sealed the <laughs> right, deal. Right. This was this was the the final. Those straw. two words, they're uh, they're powerful. <laughs> and you know, you got to live in Ithaca, New York. Oh yeah, that was a, that was a dream come true. <laughs> that was a major dream come true, not a minor minor dream. Right, like the like the podcast. <laughs> Full circle, everybody. All right, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us this time and every time. If you are on the fence about supporting us through Patreon or PayPal, now is the time. We got all kinds of good stuff coming up, including this week, a a, a very good get in studio. Should we should we announce it? No, let's keep it a surprise. Oh, a little surprise. Yeah. All right. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to communicate with the show, 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We will be awaiting you helping us move the conversation forward. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.